Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again, Lord, to worship you now through the teaching of your word. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon it, that you may open the scriptures to us, that we may see Christ alone, that we may see Christ raised, lifted up. Christ is our only hope. Christ is the one who finished the work of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for your word again. And may you imprint it on the hearts of your people. May you give them understanding, even those that shall hear this teaching. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Now that you know that I have a complete suit, I can take it off. (laughs) Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verses 21 to 26. Matthew 27, 21 to 26. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The title of our sermon is, Let His Blood Be Upon Us and Our Children. His Blood Upon Us and Our Children. And an alternative title is, How Did Barabbas Escape the Death Sentence? Or, Who Set Barabbas Free? Who set Barabbas free? And this is a communion teaching, a Lord's table teaching. And that means it's a gospel teaching. The Lord, when he instituted the new covenant in his blood, said, as often as you do this, you remember him. Instead of looking to the Passover, and the deliverance from Egypt. Now you put the emphasis and the understanding on him. So to remember the Lord is to preach the gospel of grace. And so praise the Lord for the gospel of grace and praise the Lord for accomplishing our salvation. And praise the Lord for causing us to be born again. 
and praise the Lord for the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God that has been freely imputed, freely given, freely reckoned to the elect. Those of us who belong to Christ, those of us who had the spirit of infirmity, those of us who were in bondage to sin, prisoners to the law, lepers imprisoned in the leper colony. And we had to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. Those of us who could not straighten up ourselves until who showed up? Until Jesus showed up. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was revealed by God first and foremost to reveal God to us and in the process to redeem his people from sin and to bring them to himself. God could not be known. God could not be known and cannot be known and cannot be approached outside the work of redemption of Jesus Christ. And that means outside the gospel of free and sovereign grace. The revelation of God to his people was always to happen in the context of sin and death, that he may, by his death and resurrection, be the righteousness of his people and the life of his people. The revelation of God had to be, it had to be in the context of salvation, because this one who is the express image of God, is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. Which means he was designated and sealed by God to this task from eternity. Not as plan B, as many would say. Not as plan C, but as plan A. And so the revelation of God in Jesus Christ was always to happen in the context of sin, in the context of putting away sin. Sin. A lot of people struggle with trying to understand sin. Sin is seen as something that is an aberration in what God was trying to accomplish. And then from the blue... When God was sleeping, sin entered into the world. And he was oblivious to it. But here's the understanding. Sin, the law, and death work together as servants of Christ. As servants to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Sin, by causing death, magnifies the righteousness of the law. Hear me again. Sin, by causing death, magnifies the righteousness of the law. And Jesus Christ is magnified in honoring 
and fulfilling the righteousness that is in the law. And God is exalted in the righteousness of Christ. And Christ is Jehovah. Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Jesus Christ is Jehovah, our righteousness. And this righteousness cannot be seen and it cannot be had outside him, Jesus, coming as our curse and death bearer and earning righteousness for us, for us, his people, by his own faithfulness, by his own obedience, even to the point of death on the cross. Every sinner needs a curse and death bearer to be saved. We are working our way towards our text. And you know that we are in our text when we get there. But this is important theological background to understand in the text. Every sinner needs a curse and death bearer to be saved. Sin brings death because of the law. For the power of sin is in the law. That's what Apostle Paul says. The law of God demands payment. The law of God demands where it has been broken. It demands payment beyond the ability of a sinner to pay. And because of that, it demands death. It demands not just death. It demands a certain kind of death that the sinner cannot satisfy by their own death. Can you hear me? And that is why the thief on the cross, even though he was dying, he realized that his own death was not sufficient to remove the curse that was on him. <laughs> and so, as he was dying, he had to look to someone else who was also dying, but dying a different kind of death. He had to look to someone else's death that his own death may be removed in the death of another. So Christ on the cross was dying a different kind of death. A death that satisfies the demands of the law. He was dying not just to be dead, but he was dying to satisfy the demand of the law, which says if someone sins, they must die. But this is not just the stopping of your heartbeat. It's more than that. Is the death of the bringing of God's wrath on this one who is able to ground it. And so the thief on the cross looked to this one and said, you remember me when you get your kingdom. You remember me when you get to the kingdom. And 
Hence Christ. Christ, the God-man, died in our place as our sin and case-bearer. You can go and hire a lawyer if you have some legal issues. But for life and salvation, you need more than a lawyer. You need one who is a case and death-bearer. One who stands on your behalf, not just to make some arguments, but to be condemned in your room, to be condemned in your place. One who has the ability, the capacity, and the willingness to be your case and death bearer. And this understanding is not in a lot of the gospel presentations. Because the gospel has been reduced to your decision making. It's been reduced to what you do not do or what you do. The gospel is about finding one who has the ability and the willingness to be your case bearer. That's the gospel. All men born of a woman, all men born from the loins of the first Adam are born under sin. And thus by default are lawbreakers. And because they are lawbreakers, they are carrying, they carry the curse and death of the first Adam. So as long as the law stands, they stand condemned. The curse of the law stands. For the curse of the law to be removed, it needs one who is not earthy. It needs one whose origin is from outside the loins of the first Adam. One who is from above. One who descended from above. One who has life in himself. To come and take the curse upon himself. To bear the curse upon himself. That he may cast the curse. Condemned sin in the flesh. And removed that which condemned us. The law. And no man appoints themselves to this work. But there's one who has God's seal, one appointed by God, one who is qualified and sanctified to perform this work. And this is not the Pope. It is the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, who has the seal of the Father. And this is the one that we have standing before Pontius Pilate, the governor. Because his hour has come. His hour to glorify the Father and to be glorified in the offering of himself as the perfect sacrifice, as the perfect high priest. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of those that the Father gave to him. The elect of Christ that are in the world. His hour has come. We are getting to the text. His hour. If you've been listening to John and or you have read the book of John, we've been hearing John the apostle saying they could not lay their hands on Jesus because his hour had not yet come. But now the hour 
has come. His hour has come to remove the curse of his people by submitting to death and so he submits to human authority not for their sake, not for the sake of the authorities, but he submits to human authority and to death in submission to his father. Jesus is not submitting to death for the sake of submitting to death. Death has no power over Jesus. Jesus is God. But he submits anyway in submission to his father. That's the obedience of Christ. For he has come to do the father's will because he always does that which pleases the father. And the father is always pleased with him and the father always hears his son. Jesus has come to this hour to finish all the work that the father gave him to do for the salvation of all those that the father gave to him. And so he submits. He humbles himself even to death on the cross. He submits to Pilate. But Pilate has no power over Jesus. For no man has power over Jesus unless it has been given them from above. Jesus submits in this hour even to the rusted nails on the cross. The nails have no power over the Son of God to hold him up on the cross. The one who has the earth spinning on nothing cannot be held on the cross by nails. Jesus does not need nails to stay on the cross. It's submission. He's submitting. The Son of God is God and he is the one who holds all things by the word of his power. That's Hebrews chapter 1. But he submits to the nails that he may accomplish your salvation. That he may remove the curse that was on you. That he may present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before the Father. And as Jesus is walking towards the cross, he receives testimony. He is declared to be a just person by Pilate. He is declared to be innocent by Judas. Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot said to the chief priest, I have betrayed innocent blood. And that is not Judas Iscariot's testimony. That is God's testimony of his own son. His son is holy. He is innocent. He is undefiled. And he is separate from sinners, according to Hebrews. And this is what qualifies him to be the sin and curse bearer. Yet as being holy and undefiled, Isaiah comes and says of him in Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. How do you afflict one who is holy and undefiled? Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. So the hour of him to be taken to the cross has come. To be cut from the land of the living has arrived. And this hour has been set from eternity by the decree of the sovereign God. But in time, in time has been set in the Passover feast. In time has been foreshadowed in the tabernacle and has been taught in the sacrificial system, especially the day of atonement. Jesus has to be on the cross on the Passover day for he is the Passover lamb. But as he is headed there, he is saving his people along the way. (laughs) So God is moving every split second, every split second decision of what is happening in Jerusalem and what is happening in the spiritual realm. Remember when Judas came and betrayed Jesus, Jesus said to Judas and to the devil, whatever you're doing, do it quickly. So the going of Jesus on the cross has more than the Jews involved. It has more than Herod and Pilate. It has all the principalities and powers because he is about to make a public spectacle of them on the cross. And God is moving everything simultaneously. Why? Because all these things are the servants of Jesus. (laughs) His power is irresistible. Herod, Pilate, the chief priests are all gathered together against the Lord and he's anointed to do what the Lord determined to be done. And yet in his absolute sovereignty, he makes them responsible for doing what he made them to do. A lot of churches can't hear that. A lot of people can't hear that. But that's the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible is the only God outside the Bible. He is God in the Bible and he's God outside the Bible. Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So this is not plan B. This is not plan B. We are moving on schedule and we are still on plan A. But Jesus himself had many times predicted of his own death. is there in the Psalms. But when he came and was walking in shoe leather, he continued to tell his disciples of his death. Like in Matthew 20, verses 18 to 19, he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. So this is where we are. This is where we are. The son of man is in Jerusalem and has come to die. Your son shall surely die. On the cross, according to the plan 
of God. He has an appointment with death to defeat death and to remove death. This was his mission and this was his main job description. This was the height of his obedience. If he does not die, he can't have his bride. If Jesus does not die, he can't have his possession. If he does not die, he can't make the new covenant in his blood. Because the documents, the documents of the new covenant were ratified by the blood. You need the blood to enact a covenant. So he has to die. He has to be on the cross. But what did he die for? What did Jesus die for? He died because of you. Because of your sin. He died because he loved you from eternity. Because you were his, given to him by the Father. He died because he is the good shepherd who has come to give his life for the sheep. His death is testimony of his good shepherding of the sheep. It is his way of protecting the sheep from the predators of sin and death, the devil, and God's wrath. And to protect them from the hirelings. And so he gives his life in place of the life of the sheep. So that the sheep may live. If the shepherd gives their life, guess what? The enemies of the sheep who have to deal with the shepherd and the sheep are spared. And that is a completed salvation. You can't have your shepherd dying and then the sheep dying too. Does it make sense? So he died to cleanse you of your filthiness and to justify you and to clothe you with his own garments of righteousness. A sinner has no capacity or ability to be righteous before God. Even the best of them, the most moral of them, the most educated, the most pious of them, the Dalai Lama is a nice dude. But he does not have the righteousness of God. He does not believe the gospel. Even the richest of the people that we have in our societies, they cannot work the righteousness that God requires. Apostle Paul realized that his own righteousness was done. The righteousness that was blameless before the law, according to him, was done. Even Job realized, righteous Job, realized that his own righteousness was not good enough before God, and yet he was morally upright. He shunned evil. And he feared God. That's the testimony from Job chapter 1 and 2. But this was not the righteousness that God required. Job was righteous, but his righteousness was not good enough before God because it was a righteousness of a man born in Adam. As long as you're born in Adam, your righteousness will never ever cut it. Impossible. 
even if you don't go anywhere from the time that you were born, your mother locks you up in your room until your hair turns gray, you are still a wicked man because you don't possess the righteousness of God in Christ. So Job learned this and he said in Job 9.20, Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. Even if you don't ever do wrong, like I said, your very mouth will condemn you. Condemn you. And the problem is not what you do, as Brother Patrick mentioned last night. It is who you are as a sinner. That's the problem. And to make matters worse is because of who God is. If God was like Brother Mike, no problem. I'm in. I'm so in. But my righteousness and his righteousness are right there. But the problem is the standard. The standard is Christ's righteousness, not my righteousness. God is holy and righteous. And you, because you're a sinner, you are not. That is what it means to be a sinner. It means you are not holy as God is holy. When God says, be holy as I am holy, he's not saying you can do it. (laughs) It's not a good suggestion. (laughs) You can't do it. Our spiritual constitution is messed up because of sin. We are unable to be righteous. It is impossible to be righteous in yourself, And by yourself because of your nature. The only righteousness that does not condemn you. The only righteousness that justifies you as blameless is the righteousness that God himself freely gives. Otherwise, he always will prove you to be perverse. Always, he proved to Job that he was perverse. The rich young ruler, we talked about him, tried it with Jesus. And even claimed to have observed all the commandments from his youth. The ones that Jesus asked him about. But he was still lacking the righteousness of Christ. And without the righteousness of Christ, one cannot be saved. His own mouth condemned him. And even though he thought he was blameless, Jesus proved to him that he was perverse. Jesus said to him, Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And this exposed, it exposed the righteousness of the rich young ruler to be insufficient. Jesus was proving to the rich young ruler this dude had everything going on for him. He didn't even have a name. He was so rich and righteous that his name was the rich young ruler. He had it mad. I mean, he had a 5,000 square foot apartment in Manhattan somewhere. 
Jesus will always find a way to prove to you that your own righteousness is inadequate for eternal life. Just when you think you're good and you're hoping, you have your fingers crossed, that Jesus saw me. He, he had to have seen me doing my righteousness. <laughs> but as soon as you do that, he'll find something to slay you and to bring you back to the righteousness of Christ so that you don't build your own confidence in the things that you're doing, even though they are good works in Christ, still they are not the reason why you have a standing with God. But praise the Lord by the gospel, I am perverse, but justified. I am wretched, but not condemned. Outside the righteousness of Christ, you are just an ungodly leper, the unclean, the one without strength, the one who always is opposed to God. And that is why Isaiah would come and say of Christ, but he was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgression, transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Isaiah 53, 8b says, For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. So Christ died because of our sins, yours and mine, all of them. Jesus actually died to pay for our sins. He actually made and finished the transaction that purchased our salvation. Our salvation is a completed transaction. It's a completed salvation. The check that Jesus made to God did not bounce. God accepted it and cashed it. And he released Christ from the cords of death. For it was impossible that he should be kept in bondage to death after having fulfilled what the Lord demanded of him. And it is impossible that Christ should not possess that which he paid for. There's no one who goes to the grocery stores and they pay for their groceries. And there they say, oh, by the way, I didn't like that. Don't give me back my money, but get back your groceries. There's no one who ever does that. If you make a payment, you have to take your groceries with you. And if Christ came and finished the payment for the salvation of his people, guess what? He has to have his bride. He has to have his possession. Christ went on the cross as a condemned sinner. He went into the grave as a dead man. Only sinners are subject to death. But Christ was made subject to death by the imputation of our sin. God put our sin and the judgment of it on him. God legally constituted Christ as a transgressor because of our sins. But if he carried all our sins and our burdens, then it means we have no more debt to pay. He made it good with God for us. We owe God nothing. 
God sees us righteous in him. But someone will say, but I don't feel righteous. Who told you that you're supposed to feel righteous? You don't feel righteous because your righteousness is the righteousness of another. It's not your own intrinsic righteousness. It's a righteousness that has been charged, that has been imputed, that has been reckoned to you by the court of God. The court of God sees you as having accomplished everything that the law ever demanded on you. The law has no more claims on you. The law has no more jurisdiction on you. The law is not your husband. You already died to the law and you are now lawfully married to another husband, a better husband who has clothed you with better clothes, with better righteousness. We are clothed in the court of another, in the clock of another. Yet we are still the same deceivers, the same Jacobs covered in the best clothes of another. Jacob covered in the best clothes of his brother, Esau, the brother that the father Isaac loved. But what mattered was, was Jacob wearing the right kind of clothes. It was not about the righteousness of Jacob. It was about what Jacob had on. <laughs> and the father was satisfied. He tied Jacob. He felt him. He's like, this is my son. Why? Because he smelled like his own son. He smelled like Jesus. Matthew 27, 21 to 22. Now we're going to see all that I've talked about in the text. We're going to see that theology in the text. We're going to talk about the doctrine of substitution, imputation and justification. I'll explain it. I don't use a lot of big words, do I? <laughs> but we're going to draw that understanding from the text. Then you see that what we just read from Matthew 27 is indeed the gospel. Matthew 27, 21, 22. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Pilate came and said to the Jews, Which one of the two do you want me to release to you? Humanly speaking, they were exercising their choice. Their free will choice <laughs> by their choice was rigged by God's sovereignty every human choice and decision is always secretly rigged by God that was not their decision to make pay attention to Pilate's question again he asked which of the two he could release to the people it was not going to be both. One of them had to be released in place of another. And God had already determined that it would happen and had sovereignly prepared Pilate to practice a yearly governor's pardon in which every year on Passover, Pilate as the governor of this region would release a prisoner to the Jews 
And this was obviously a political move. It was a shrewd political move to keep the Jewish constituency happy. But again, God demonstrated his sovereignty over a pagan king to do things that were beyond his understanding. He caused a pagan king to preach the gospel of grace because it was for this day and purpose that God raised Pilate. Pilate was not born because his parents wanted a son. No. Pilate was born as a servant of Christ. (laughs) Pilate's practice of releasing a prisoner every year was a very uncommon practice and had no precedent in Roman society. And yet God caused him to do it anyway because he was accomplishing his purpose and will in Christ Jesus. But hear this. If Jesus is released, then Barabbas remains in jail. Barabbas had issues. Lots of issues. And Barabbas should remain in jail. According to John 18 verse 40, Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. Barabbas was a robber. And Mark says Barabbas was a murderer and a serious political activist, not the Occupy Wall Street type. This was a serious activist. And Mark says in Mark 15, 6 and 7, Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. That's the feast of the Passover. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. So Barabbas was instrumental in a rebellion that had killed people and most likely a rebellion to overthrow Rome. And of course, it made us some people in the process. So Barabbas was a robber and had committed murder. And thus, according to the law, Barabbas was supposed to die. And you have to hear me clearly. Barabbas is supposed to die because the law condemns him as a murderer. Both Jewish law and Roman law say Barabbas should die. But as Barabbas ways to die, he was kept in chains with his fellow rebels. The law kept Barabbas in chains. <laughs> Barabbas is on death row. The law says Barabbas has to be put on death row. The law always keeps one in chains because the law is right in its judgment. The law rightly convicts you as a murderer and a rebel against God. It rightly condemns you and holds you until your time of execution. And this is maximum security prison. And there's no way of escape. Barabbas knows that he is worthy of death and he has no basis of appeal. And you too were under the conviction and condemnation of the law of God with no grounds of pardon. 
the law could only could only keep you in chains because the law was never given to get you out of jail. Hear me? Look at Barabbas again. We're going to be working Barabbas for the next 30 minutes. Barabbas, the notorious prisoner, is supposed to die. And yet Barabbas finds a way of escape in a case and death bearer. Barabbas has the same problem as everyone who is in chains. Barabbas is chained to his gang of rebels. But Barabbas, the most notorious, the ringleader of them, finds a way of escape where there was no hope of escape. And we also need to find you a way of escape where there's no hope of escape like what happened to Barabbas. And if you don't see yourself in Barabbas, then the gospel can't help you. You have to hear the gospel as Barabbas to love the gospel. You have to hear the gospel as one who is in chains and condemned to die to love the gospel of grace. Barabbas has an important question to ask. And it needs to be answered quickly or else Barabbas dies. And Barabbas' question is, Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Barabbas needs a who to deliver him quickly. Your sin needs a who person to be delivered from it. Salvation from sin is about finding a who and not what you have to do in yourself and for yourself. A wretched man in chains does not care about the weather report. A wretched man in, in chains does not care about the elections. He does not care about the economy. He only cares to hear how he may escape from the death sentence. He needs a who for salvation. And Apostle Paul found his who in Romans 7.25. And when he found him, he said, Thanks be to God. <laughs> when you find your who, you say, Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And he stopped there. And he stopped there. And Barabbas, the chief of sinners, finds his who in an unexpected place. Barabbas finds his who in Jesus. Barabbas was not looking for Jesus. But Jesus was looking for Barabbas. Jesus shows up as his substitute. Jesus shows up to take away his sin. And to take away his condemnation. To take away his judgment. That he may be released from death. Jesus shows up. To set free he who was supposed to die. Justly condemned by the law for his sins. And Jesus assumes the obligation of Barabbas' sin. Jesus enters into the place of Barabbas. But hear me. Barabbas is still a notorious sinner. To the core. Still a murderer to the core. And yet Barabbas is set free. 
That is a scandal. It's a scandal. Barabbas did not weep for his sin. Barabbas did not give a tenth. And Barabbas, and yet Barabbas is a free man. The gospel is a scandal. It sets free those who are supposed to die, those who were held in chains ready to be killed. How is that possible? How is that possible? If God is just, how can he allow for such an awful transaction? This is God's answer in Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus has entered into the place of Barabbas. That is substitution and that is imputation. Jesus assumed the place and the sin of Barabbas. The sin of Barabbas was imputed to Christ and the righteousness of Christ was imputed to Barabbas. And that is the only way Barabbas walked out free. That's the only way. That's the only way. Barabbas has to be released because God has given him a who? Barabbas has a mediator. Barabbas has a surety. Barabbas has a sin and curse bearer. Barabbas has someone that God hears. Barabbas has someone that God loves. How can he not be set free? Barabbas has to be set free because he has found a ransom payment. Not just an ordinary ransom payment, but he has found a ransom payment in the Son of God. And if the law is satisfied, if God is satisfied, Barabbas has to be set free. And so again, Matthew 27, 21, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Barabbas has to be released. But how? Verse 22. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What then shall I do with him? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Barabbas is released on account of Christ. On account of the death of Christ. And so the Jews shouted and said, Crucify him. If Barabbas has to be set free, this one has to be crucified. It is not enough for Jesus to be arrested and be chained with the rest of the rebels. It is not enough for Jesus to be put in jail like Barabbas. It is not enough for Jesus to live a righteous life and then go back to heaven. If Barabbas has to go free on this occasion, Jesus has to be crucified. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And of course, God was very lucky that the Jews came up with this idea. It was very lucky. But it was not the Jews talking. The Jews are instruments in God's hands. Flesh and blood cannot figure this out. Flesh and blood cannot figure out what is happening. They are talking more than they understand. It was God who was working. It was God who was talking through them. What then shall I do 
with Jesus, who is called the Christ. Crucify him. Because a Christ who does not die for the sins of his people is not Christ. Do you see the definition of the Christ? What shall I do with this one who is called the Christ? Crucify him. Why? Because a Christ is only one who is crucified. Crucify him because a Jesus who does not set free his people who are in chains to sin and death and the law is not Christ. Crucify him because in his crucifixion is the salvation of his people. Crucify him because in his crucifixion is the justification of all his elect. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the basis of our justification. Our being set free from condemnation. Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, 5 to 10. Brings us understanding to this story. Leviticus 16, 5 to 10. He, Aaron, shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male gods for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two gods and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two gods, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the God on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the God on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Leviticus 16.15 Then he shall slaughter the God of the sin offering which is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Leviticus 16.20-22 When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar he shall offer the live God. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live God and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins and he shall lay them on the head of the God and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The God shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land and he shall release the God into the wilderness. Pilate cast lots by asking the Jews which one he should release, Barabbas or Jesus. And the lot fell on Jesus. And the lot fell on Jesus and it is he who has made the sin offering. Jesus was the one represented by the two gods. It is he who died and it is he on whom the sins were confessed and set free. The two gods represented the one person. They represented the death and the resurrection of Christ. 
The God that died represents Christ dying. The God that was set free represents Christ being set free after his death. But Barabbas is in union with Christ. If Christ dies, Barabbas also dies. And if Christ is set free, Barabbas is also set free in the release of the scapegoat into the wilderness. Hear this. If Barabbas remains in jail after Pilate has said, which one should I release? And it happens that it's Jesus who gets set free. Then Jesus would have been set free on account of Barabbas. If Jesus is the one who is set free, a transaction has to be made. A choice has to be made. Which of the two is going to remain in prison? If Barabbas is set free, then we have a different story. But if Jesus is the one who is set free, Jesus has been set free on account of Barabbas. Jesus has been set free on the merits of another, a sinner. And that would have upset the whole plan of salvation. It was impossible that Barabbas could remain in jail and Christ go free. He saved others, but could not save himself. It is impossible that the elect remain in jail when Christ has been given over. If Christ has been given over, then Barabbas has to be set free. There are no two ways about it. Both Christ and Barabbas cannot go to jail. Which one of the two shall I set free? The elect are set free by the death of Christ. They don't remain bound when their substitute has been given over to die in their place. They are set free by his merits. If Christ is crucified, the elect, the ones that are in union with him, have to, without fail, to be set free. Because the ransom payment was made in full. To say that we help Jesus in our salvation is to say Barabbas helped Jesus to be set free. It is to say Barabbas paid for the sins of Jesus. Like Jesus was a sinner. It is to say Barabbas was crucified for Jesus to be set free. Jesus did not make it possible for Barabbas to be set free. Jesus, on his account alone, completely set Barabbas free. Barabbas escaped death by the death of another, as in Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, as we have just read. The scapegoat, as I explained, and the one that died, they explained each other. You are not going to have a God that dies and resurrects. It's only Christ who dies and resurrects. So to have a complete picture of that, they had to use two gods or two beds to have a total picture of what Christ would do. 
the death and resurrection of Christ happened in union with the ones that he died for. As Apostle Paul in Romans, when he talks about our union with Christ in baptism, this is also true here. The scapegoat represented the transfer of our sins to Christ by imputation, and yet it also represented his resurrection and our own freedom and being set free in him and because of him. And so we were set free into the wilderness as the scapegoat. What is that saying? It is saying Barabbas was set free on account of the anticipated death of Christ and anticipated resurrection of Christ. Barabbas means son of the fathers. Ba means son. And then Abbas, that's a compound of two words. Ba, son of the fathers. Abbas, Abba, that's father. The sons of the father, us, who were in bondage to sin and death, were set free by the son of the father. Jesus Christ. It's not by accident that Barabbas shows up just before Christ goes on the cross. And it's not by accident that Jesus heals Lazarus. He resurrects Lazarus as the last miracle in the book of John just before the cross. Because the death and resurrection of Lazarus is anticipating the death and resurrection of Christ. Matthew 27, 23 to 26. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate had underestimated the desire of the chief priests and the people to put Jesus to death. Jesus has been a pain as soon as Jesus shows up. They don't know what to do with Jesus. He thought that they would ask for Jesus to be released. But that did not happen. And so he washed his hands and said, you see to it. You are the ones responsible for shedding innocent blood. But that did not absolve Pilate of his guilt before God because Pilate was just playing politics. Pilate is a pragmatic politician. He was looking to the election cycle, like in our own politics, saying the right things in times of crisis, but always doing the opposite thing. But the people said, let his blood be upon us and our children. They were both right and they were wrong. They were wrong because they said it out of hatred of the Lord. And they hated him so much that they were willing to have the curse of his death 
to fall upon them and their generation of children. That is how much they hated Jesus. But they were right for the wrong reason. In that he had to be made a curse for them. Their hatred of him is a desperate cry of sin. Is a desperate cry of their own depravity. Is a desperate cry of their need of cleansing. They need the blood of Jesus to be cleansed. The Lord here sovereignly uses their hatred to preach to them their only hope. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Let God apply his blood on us and our children. They're preaching the gospel. Speaking more than they know. That's sovereignty. This is the imputation of Christ's righteousness to sinners who are haters of God. This is your heart before Christ came to you. This is you who is speaking. You are amongst the crowd. You are amongst the cheerleaders. Crucify him and let his blood be upon us and our children. The only hope for lawbreakers is if the blood of Christ is put on them. The only hope for sinners is if God freely, if God, the word freely is translated somewhere in the Gospels as without cause. If God without cause gives you the righteousness of Christ. Because if God looks at you through <laughs> his telescope, <laughs> the corridors of time, and see that Christo is going to make a decision for Christ, then he cannot freely justify you. He now has a cause to justify you. But in Christ, he justifies us without a cause, which means freely. Why? Because he was pleased to. And when you go and see God, you meet him, and you say, thank you, Lord. For saving me. The Lord will say. It was my good pleasure. It was my good pleasure. To bring a wretch to myself. We need the blood of Christ. To cover our transgressions. We need the blood of Christ. For sanctification. For justification. For glorification. And that is to say. For the fullness of salvation. It's not. Your blood plus the blood of Christ. It's not your goodness. It's not by your self-introspection. It's not by you're not going to watch this movie. It's not by the length of your dress that you are freely justified. It's only by the blood of Christ freely reckoned to you by God that you are justified. So the question that we ask everybody, those who are here and anybody who is listening and who shall listen, is what blood do they have? What blood are you standing on? What blood do you have on your doorpost? Is it the blood that God commanded? And is it the blood that is visible to God? Because you see, you can have all kinds of blood, but if it is not visible to God, guess what? The death angel is coming and is slaying you. 
Only Jesus Christ has enough blood and the right kind of blood that removes your every sin. And if his blood does not come upon you and your children, there's no hope of forgiveness and there's no propitiation of God's wrath. 1 Peter 3.18. I'm sad that we're almost coming to an end. I think I'm going to take the other same one. For Christ also suffered once for sins. One time. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Let his blood be upon us and our children by faith this morning. Romans 5.9 Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. His blood has to be on Barabbas for Barabbas to be set free. Barabbas does not apply the blood of Christ on himself. It's God who puts the blood of Christ on Barabbas. It's God who reckons the blood of Christ on Barabbas. Let's work this some more. Because the traditions of the current gospel in the church do not think that Barabbas, they don't even see Barabbas as a picture of salvation. They don't even think that Barabbas was saved. It's anathema. If I were to go in there, in a lot of these churches, and tell them, before I preach my gospel, that Barabbas was saved, they will say, no, Barabbas was not saved. So we have to answer the question, how was Barabbas set free and was Barabbas saved? We need to answer that. Many, many, many would look to the behavior and attitude of Barabbas and not to the transaction of the gospel that Jesus made and say Barabbas was not saved. They look, they base their decision about the salvation of Barabbas not on Jesus and the transaction that God is doing right there in Jesus, but to Barabbas himself. They'll argue and say, but Barabbas never showed any faith in Christ. Barabbas never repented of his sin, so Barabbas could not have been saved. Why? But they don't know the gospel. Faith and repentance are not the ransom price. Gotta hear me. Faith and repentance are not the ransom price. Jesus is. Barabbas has found the ransom price that God requires for salvation. Barabbas has found a holy, innocent, and undefiled substitute to enter into his place. Barabbas has been elected to salvation from among all those who are in jail. Remember, it's a game. Chained together. Why Barabbas? Why not get everybody out? Barabbas, the most notorious of them, the ringleader of them, is the one that God says, him, get him out. No repentance from Barabbas. No remorse of sin from Barabbas. Why? 
Because God is teaching about how salvation actually works, not the opinions of men. You see, the gospel is a serious scandal. The gospel is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Listen to this. For one to be saved, this is what they need. They need a sinless substitute. Barabbas has it, right? They need imputation. Barabbas has it. It requires fulfillment of the law. Barabbas has it. It requires the death of the substitute. Crucify him. Barabbas has it. It requires the ransom payment. And Barabbas has it all. Barabbas has it all. Faith and repentance are not the cause of salvation. Faith and repentance are results of one who has found a ransom payment. <laughs> Brother Mike, you can weep over your sins all you want. As long as you don't have the right ransom, you're in trouble. The Muslims weep over their sin. They cry over their sin. They confess their sins. But they have a huge problem. They don't have the right ransom price. They don't have the right substitute. They don't have the correct legal transaction of salvation. Faith and repentance are results of one who has found a ransom payment for their freedom. They are not the cause of freedom. Barabbas was not set free from death by faith and a plea of repentance. He was not set free from death by saying, I'm sorry, Pilate, I didn't mean to cause an insurrection. I am going to do community service. He was set free because he found a who person to deliver him. A ransom payment and a cash bearer on his behalf. God was here not teaching about faith and repentance. That is the subject of the prodigal son. You learn about repentance and faith from the prodigal son, but this is not the place for it. God was here teaching about the legal transaction of the gospel itself. How does a man get to be set free? One who was condemned to die. The point is, whatever Barabbas needed for salvation was met in another. That's the point. Who made the ransom payment on his behalf. Whatever you think Barabbas is not showing is all in Christ. The question that we have to answer then is, was Jesus enough for Barabbas to be set free? That's the question that people are not answering in salvation. Brother Mike, Brother Lou, you have not repented enough. And you never repent enough. So you are not saved. Because if you have to be saved, your repentance has to be perfect. And if your repentance is not met in Christ, you are in serious trouble. The question that we have to answer always is, was Jesus enough for Barabbas to be set free? 
if Jesus was enough for Barabbas, Barabbas had to be set free. He had to go free. And that answers the question, who set Barabbas free? Was it Pilate? Was it the Jews? Or was it God? <laughs> it's God who set Barabbas free. Why? Because he saw and accepted the work that his son was about to do. If Jesus was sufficient for Barabbas, then the same transaction has to be sufficient for you, a rebel. Salvation is not about Barabbas, and it's not about you, but it is about the sufficiency of Christ to make atonement for your sins. No, no, you didn't hear me. Salvation is not about you. The question that we have to answer always is, was Christ adequate to make atonement? And if he was, then all those that are in him were completely saved. Any other understanding is just vain imaginations from theologians. And if God is satisfied with that transaction, then he has to set you free in spite of your background of being a rebel. Again, the repentance of Barabbas is not what set him free. The Lord here did not give us the whole life of Barabbas because that's not what he was trying to teach us. His point was, I want to show you how I actually save people. That was the point of the story. What Barabbas later did, he could have been one of the guys who came on Pentecost, as Brother Patrick had suggested with some other guy before. He could have been one who was among them. Barabbas, listen to this, may not even have known Jesus. He may not even have known who Jesus was at this point. <laughs> but what mattered was he was elect. <laughs> And that it is Jesus who showed up. You see, all you need to be saved is for Jesus to show up. That's all you need. Read the whole Bible. If Jesus shows up, done. <laughs> all you need for salvation is for Jesus to show up as your ransom payment. To show up as your justification. As I said, only Barabbas out of the group of these rebels was set free. Election, election, election. How can a sinner like Barabbas be set free? Election, election, election. Was the blood of Christ not enough to cover the whole gang? It was enough to cover the whole gang. But election, 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 election. Barabbas belongs to Christ. Again, the scandal of the gospel. Imputed righteousness. Covered by the blood of the sacrifice. So as long as Christ is given as a sacrifice... And as long as God accepts the sacrifice, it is well with Barabbas. If he had the hymn Barabbas was singing, it is well with my soul. Barabbas was singing, it is well with my soul. As long as Jesus shows up, God has to set you free. He has no option. The law has to set you free. It has no option. Roman law was satisfied to set Barabbas free on account of Jesus. And God is satisfied to set you free on account of Jesus. Barabbas has all that he needs to be set free 
Barabbas does not have to agree if he wants Jesus to be his ransom. Jesus did not make an opinion poll and say, Barabbas, do you want to be set free on my account? Barabbas, when he shows up, he realizes he is the one who is set free. Praise the Lord for Jesus. To be set free is not Barabbas' decision to make. That is God's decision to make. And God has made that decision in election. God has already given Jesus for Barabbas that he may be set free. And that is sovereign grace, salvation. Romans 8, 31 and 34. And then we'll go to the next sermon. (laughs) What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for Barabbas, who can be against Barabbas? Who? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely, without cause, give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? But all you fellas out there who say, oh, Barabbas did not repent enough. He didn't show up. You are saying you have a charge against Barabbas. They, they want to call Barabbas to the altar that he may come and rededicate his life to Jesus. But God says, who shall bring a charge against those that I've set free? It is God who justifies. So to our question, who set Barabbas free? It is God who sets free. It was not Pilate. It was not the decision of the Jews. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, not Barabbas. And furthermore, is also reason who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. If God is for Barabbas, we shall bring a charge against him. And Barabbas is you, Sister Desela. You're the one. It's not some other guy out there. It's you. That's the point. You are Barabbas. And that is how we remember the Lord. And that is how we Remember the Lord by this scandalous gospel that a mob of sinners, God-haters, crucifying Christ, spitting on Christ, God will come and say freely, I am justifying you and I'm bringing you to myself on account of the finished work of my beloved son. And now you can worship that God. That's a gospel that I can hear over and over. Not the gospel that I have to be good. I have to look to myself. I have to be doing this and that. That's no gospel. The gospel that we preach and the gospel that we believe in is the one that says God sets us freely without cause because of Christ. Amen.